Look at me. I already forgot you were coming. Sorry, Greg. Hey, um, before Greg shares a reflection with us, hang on there a minute. Sorry. <laughs> I was all caught up in worship, you guys. Sometimes I forget what's next. As a reminder, we have a worship wall here in the back. This is a space for you to actually get up, move about the cabin at any point during worship, and do something with your hands that relates to our worship series that we're in, which right now we're in We Were Seeds. And you actually have the opportunity to go back there and plant some wildflower seeds and symbolically sort of leave some things behind that have been weighing you down lately and let God turn it into something beautiful. And people online, um, if you would like to participate in that, if you want to answer the question, what do I need to bury, that may be really private. But if it's something you want to share in the comments, something you want to bury, you can write it in there. We'll, we'll plant some seeds for you. Okay, we have been getting to listen to and experience these beautiful Lenten reflections written by our own Melinda Wilder Haas. She has written one, a custom reflection for us every week. Do you all realize how beautiful that is? Can we just thank her for a moment? So um, Greg is going to read this one for us today, and you're invited to really just settle in, take a deep breath, and um, let these words sit on your heart. Good morning. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom your kingdom that is truth, but looks messy, worn, beaten, and scary. Where you reside forever on earth as it is in heaven, the light shines only because of your brokenness, and other shiny things are only idols. Jesus, remember me, even though it's our fault, and you have no obligation to remember us the ones who sent you to your death. Somehow you love us when we cannot love you back. Jesus, remember me. Though Barabbas felt like the better choice for life, though you are king and were mocked in the end. How easily fooled we humans are. The crowd shouted, give us Barabbas. The crowd believed the lies, the propaganda of the high authority. Jesus, remember me, for the kingdom on earth is so messy. The pain we feel penetrates everything, the ground, the cold, the hearts of all humans. Faith is the only requirement for the truth to set us free. Fear is the only requirement to believe anything to make the hurt go away. Jesus, remember me because I want to join you in the mysterious beautiful where the world tells me it is too murky to go, where I know you are, where I know I will grow. Lies cannot win when you are the center of truth. People who think they rule us rule nothing at all. Jesus, remember me, and like a child, being tucked in at night, monsters outside our windows and tyrants at the foot of our bed help me to remember you, the sun rising in the morning beside me as I sleep. Hold us, remember us, and love us. We pray in your name. Amen.
Greg, and thank you, Melinda. Monster, can you go back to that last slide? Melinda shared this with me on Friday. Monsters outside of our windows, tyrants at the foot of the bed. Oh, man, that one's going to sit with me. Um, you know, we like to always go really loose here. We, we like to make uh, everything about fluffiness and duckies and bunnies, and right? That's how we handle things at the Grove. So, of course, this week as I was preparing for uh, my message, what I was reading up on was propaganda, <laughs> uh, and specifically Russian propaganda. Um, and so I've been digging deep over the last couple weeks into uh, the work of Peter Pomerantz, Pomerantsev, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he was born in Russia, moved to England, moved back to Russia, and was working there for several years. He's an author and a propaganda expert. And um, as I was reading his work, there were three different things that, that have really stuck out to me over the last couple weeks when it comes to propaganda and Russian propaganda specifically that I think are helpful for us to, to be aware of, especially as we, we go into this season. The first is he defines propaganda as this. Uh, propaganda is any type of mass persuasion that answers primarily the needs of the person doing it. So with a definition like this, he actually thinks that propaganda is not the most helpful term because it's neither in inherently good or bad. It's a form of mass persuasion that answers primarily the needs of the person doing it. It can be good, it can be bad, it, it's neutral, it depends on how it's being used and what the intended ends are. So I, keep, I want you to keep that in mind as we go forward today. Secondly, he talks specifically about the importance of, in order to understand propaganda, you have to understand both the historical and the cultural uh, and the, the social context. In order to understand what someone's trying to do with the propaganda, you have to understand the historical and the social context. So, having worked in Russia, and primarily talking about Russian propaganda, he gives this example from what was going on in, in Russia during the mid-2000s. Um, as, as Russia was trying to integrate itself with the West, one of the things that they did in Moscow was they tore down up to a thousand historic, actually protected buildings. And what they did was they immediately replaced them. Um, it wasn't necessarily that these buildings were going to fall down or anything. They just needed to be replaced. And the buildings that they were replaced with didn't look remarkably different. Uh, they were newer, of course. They were cleaner, literally cleaner lines. They were supposed to be more, they were supposed to look more modern, more respectable to the West. You know what else what was different about them? They were completely empty. Completely empty. You know what completely empty buildings are really good for? Money laundering. So a thousand buildings are knocked out in Moscow to, to create this clean picture of this city that seems to be westernizing, and they are completely empty. They are a facade for illegal activity. And this becomes for him a metaphor for uh, the, the Russia that comes out of the, the Soviet Union and that Vladimir Putin is ruling. That uh, Vladimir Putin's Russia is this uh, a attempt at mass persuasion that is a facade for, uh, for truth laundering. It's like, uh, 
it's being presented as this, uh, this clean, this orderly, res respectable to Western thing, but it's morally bankrupt. The third thing that he says about propaganda sp uh, in general and Russian pop propaganda specifically is we often think that propaganda is meant to uh, encourage us to do something. And actually, what Russian propaganda, according to Peter Pomerantsev, uh, is meant to do is to make you passive. It's to uh, introduce so much chaos and confusion and messiness into the world where you say, I don't want that messiness. It's, this world is too confusing. What I need is something clean, and I want someone who's strong to tell me that they are in charge, that they have it covered, so that I don't have to worry about it. And in a world like that, he says, nothing is true, but everything is possible. We're in the middle of, uh, like smack dab in the middle of the season in the church calendar known as Lent. Lent is this 46-day period which... Uh, leads us up to Easter. The purpose of this season is like preparation for Easter and, and what's going to come with Easter. So it's a time of self-reflection, looking at our own humanity and mortality. And yet often there are some traditions that kind of take it a little bit too far, almost to the point of like self-hatred. It's not just about mortality and humanity, but it's about uh, our own depravity, that we ourselves are, are bad or tainted, that we're not just dirty, but we're dirt. And so over the course of this, this season, we've been in this series called We Were Seeds, saying, you know what, rather than saying we're dirt, uh, maybe we're the seeds that rest in dirt, and that dirt is nutrients. It's full of nutrients by which we as seeds can grow beautiful things, yeah? And as we've been doing this, we've been going through uh, the, the gospel according to John. John is one of the four uh, biographies about the life of Jesus. We've been tracking his, uh, tracking his life, and for the first 12 chapters of the biography uh, of Jesus written by John, uh, he's following, and we are following Jesus as he goes across the Judean countryside. He's teaching and healing and, and doing all these miraculous signs. And then John steps on the brakes, and for the entire second half of the book, it is in the final days of Jesus' life. It gets really slowed down. And there are portions here where uh, Jesus gives these long monologues to his closest followers. It's like in his last moments with his closest followers, he wants to let them know, this is what most, is most important for you to know because this is what my vision for the world is and this is the vision that I want you to pick up and to extend. And it's going to be different from the vision of many other people, many other leaders, many other propagandists, even. And it's going to be messy. So maybe being okay with the mess and saying that we are seeds that can grow from that mess is a really important thing. One of the places where it's going to be most prominent, where we're going to turn today, where it's most messy, where there's this biggest contrast between two visions of how the world ought to be, are when Jesus is, um, he's under trial, he's about to be put to death, but he's, they have to get clearance from the Roman officials. So this is that story. Uh, this is from John chapter 18. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's residence. Now it was very early in the morning. They did not go into the governor's residence, so they would not be ceremoniously defiled, but could eat the Passover meal. 
So Pilate came outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They replied, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, Take him yourselves and pass judgment on him according to your own law. The Jewish leaders replied, We cannot legally put anyone to death. This happened to fulfill the word Jesus had spoken when he indicated what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate went back into the governor's residence, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus replied, You say that I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked, What is truth? When he had said this, he went back outside of the Jewish leaders and announced, I find no basis for an accusation against him, but it is your custom that I release one prisoner for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Then they shouted back, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. We're going to continue this story next week. We're going to hear more about Barabbas. We're going to hear more about what happens with Pilate and with the crowds. But, but this week, we see primarily these two public figures standing face to face. And what I want to suggest to you is this. This is a propaganda war going on. Two public figures, two visions for how the world ought to be, two methods of public or of, uh, of uh, persuasion, of mass persuasion, and they are sitting right across from each other so that you can see the contrast and that you can choose how you are going to be persuaded. Now, as our Russian propaganda expert has said, in order to understand propaganda, you have to understand the historical and the social context. So now we're going to talk about some historical and social context. And what I want you to do is I want you to envision the difference between these two things as the difference between two different gardens. So first, we're going to start with Pilate, the Roman governor. And when you think of Pilate, the Roman governor, and the world that he envisions, or the Romans envision, I want you to think of a garden that is clean and crisp and highly manicured. And it's got a wall around it, and it maybe has guards outside of it. And when you, when you go in, it just looks perfect but then maybe you get a little too close and you notice these aren't living at all. These are plastic. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind when we talk about uh, Pilate and we talk about Rome. Pilate was the governor over the, the area in ancient Israel known as Judea. This, uh, this region included the city of Jerusalem. And we don't, we don't know a whole lot about Pilate from the Bible itself, but because he was a Roman official, we have these other ancient sources that tell us some of these things about Pilate that, that we don't have necessarily in the Bible. Now, as a politician in the Roman Empire, he also would have had another job, something that he was responsible for, and that was to be a propagandist. 
his job was to make sure to continue to uh, engage in the mass persuasion of the empire. And one of the things that the empire was trying to persuade its people of was this concept of Pax Romana. Anybody hear of Pax Romana before? A couple of you? Okay. So Pax Romana translated is the Roman peace. Uh, Rome, as the biggest and most powerful empire in the history of the world at this point, came in with this idea that they were going to persuade all of the people under their rule that if you lived in Rome, if you lived in the Roman Empire, you could enjoy order and peace. Now, that order and peace might come because uh, you're being occupied, uh, you're being uh, taken over, uh, and there's always a threat of violence. If you step out of line, then you're going to be shut down, and that's how the peace is maintained. But who can put a, who can put a price on peace and order, right? So as a chief, as a politician and a chief uh, propagandist officer, this was his job to maintain order and peace. Apparently the reason he was even in Jerusalem at this time, he did not live in Jerusalem. He shows up in Jerusalem because there's worries that there's going to be disorder. His job in Jerusalem when Jesus is there is to make sure that there's order and there's peace. Some of the other uh, ancient sources tell us a little bit more about, about what Pilate is like. And apparently Pilate has uh, gotten a reputation as a thug and a troll. Uh, one of the uh, ancient historians writing right around the time of Jesus said this about Pilate. Go to the next slide, Robin. Here one might impeach him in respect to his corruption, his acts of insolence, and his rapine, is that how you pronounce it? And his habit of insulting people, and his cruelty, and his continued murders of people, untried and uncondemned, and his never-ending and gratuitous and most grievous inhumanity. What a great guy, this pilot, huh? There's also individual stories about, uh, that I won't go into, but about Pilate humiliating and stealing from and even committing mass murder against the people that he was supposed to be governing. Roman peace, Pax Romana. Isn't that great? So right in front of this chief politician and propaganda officer, striding right into his residence, comes this Jesus guy. This Jesus guy has also been known to be uh, a propagandist of his own, a person who's engaging in mass persuasion, a person who has a vision for how the world is supposed to look. It looks quite different from the, the Roman garden. You might imagine this garden as a broadcast garden. We're going to come back to uh, broadcasting in just a minute. But the idea of it's not, uh, there's no wall around it. It doesn't look pristine. It doesn't look uh, perfect. It maybe even looks a little bit dirty, but like it's full of wildflowers that are thrown about. And you know that something probably is going to, to grow beautiful, but it's like disorderly. That's the purpose of it even. In his mass persuasion, in his, uh, in his propaganda, in his vision for how the world is supposed to be. When, when Rome is talking about order, Jesus is talking about love. When, when Rome is talking about serve us, Jesus is talking about service. When Rome is saying, your leader is nothing like you, Jesus is saying, your leader is just like you. These two worldviews, these two uh, methods of mass persuasion are coming literally face to face. 
And the imperial one has no idea what to do with it. No idea what to do with it. So he goes in and he uses the language of his own propaganda and he says, are you the king of the Jews? He doesn't say, are you the Messiah? He doesn't say, are you the Christ? He says, are you king? To which Jesus says, uh, that's your language. Someone put that into your mouth and now you're putting that into to my mouth. But if you insist on using that language about kingdoms and, and kingship, yeah, my kingdom is not like your kingdom. My kingdom is not like the Pax Romana. Pilate thinks he's, he's got him cornered. He says, oh, so you are a king. You admit to it. Jesus says, again, that's your language, not mine. But if you insist on me talking about my kingdom, my kingdom is about truth. And like something snaps in Pilate. It's like uh, the wires get crossed when he hears that word. Like he starts glitching out. Uh, he, like that, that idea of truth and that vision for the world does not fit with his form of mass persuasion. It does not fit with his idea of how the world is supposed to work. He doesn't seem to have any idea what to do with it. And so he just simply asks this question, what is truth? Scholars have no idea what he means by this question. It's a super weird question. Uh, they're not sure if he is, like, he gets mad at Jesus, and that's why he says this. They, they're not sure if he's taunting Jesus, or what is truth, or if he's genuinely confused and wanting to get an answer to that question. Apparently, he's not getting an answer to that question, because immediately he says it, and he turns heel, and he heads out, and he tries to get out of the situation as quickly as possible. So what I envision when I see this interaction happening is the, the smirk of a, a, uh, of a troll, the, the smirk of a thug who has just been discovered, and he turns away, and he's like, oh, shoot. Now what am I going to do? Whatever I do, i got to get out of this as soon as possible because this does not fit with how the world has been told to me. One of the things to remember about propaganda is that it is mass persuasion. Which means, in order for propaganda to work, you have to persuade people. It requires people to be told something, for it to be repeated, for actual people to engage in propagating what that, what that uh, method of persuasion is. This was true of Rome. They needed people to go out and persuade people of the Pax Romana. This is how the world works. This is how our vision for the world is. The same is happening in Ukraine right now. By force, trying to force, this is our vision for what we think the world ought to look like. But here's the thing. The, the strongest men in the history of the world, supported by the, the biggest empires and the biggest militaries in the history of the world, when they are confronted with truth face-to-face, -face, when, when they are confronted by that mode of mass persuasion, they don't know what to do with it, and they start glitching out because they can see that power fading away that is no power at all, that feels more like a, uh, like a plastic garden. They can try to hide it, they can muddle it, they can deny its existence, but what's confronted with it face-to-face, -face, they, have, they have to do a heel turn and they've got to try to figure out how to get out of it as soon as possible. I will repeat, propaganda as mass persuasion requires people to be persuaded. 
and it requires people to do the persuading. It requires propagators. I am convinced as those who say that we follow Jesus, the way of Jesus, who believe in the, the picture of the world that he imagines, is that we need to be propagandists. Anybody feel uncomfortable about that word? <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the word. We need to be broadcasters. Now, when you hear the word broadcast, you might think of like um, the, a broadcast of a TV show or a broadcast of a, a radio show. It's like it's being put out into the world from somewhere, and we're uh, recipients somewhere with our devices tuning in to this broadcast. Broadcast is actually like a, a gardening and planting method where instead of laying things down in nice, neat rows, instead of using this mass machinery to make it all clean and crisp, it's a messy way of gardening, but what it is is you take seeds in your hands and you cast them out. You literally cast them broadly. You don't know where they're going to land. You don't know how they're going to land. Sometimes you don't even know what those seeds are, but you throw them out there, trusting that this good stuff that you're going, uh, throwing out, that some of it's going to take root and some of it's going to grow beautiful things. We need to be broadcasters of the mass persuasion, the vision of what uh, Jesus wants the world to be. We're not forcing people to believe everything that we believe, not being obnoxious, not insisting that we're always right. But as we go about our lives, as we go about our, our days, just indiscriminately planting seeds that we're going to trust grows goodness. Here we might throw down a little bit of love where we're sensing hate. Here we might throw down a little justice where we're uh, sensing injustice. Here we might throw down a, a little um, inclusion where we've been sensing, uh, sensing exclusion. And here we might throw down a little bit of truth where we've been told that nothing is true and everything is possible. Broadcasters. Now, is that going to lead to a kingdom that is crisp and clean and predictable and powerful? No. But I am convinced that it's actually going to be more persuasive. People are going to see what grows there, and they're going to say, that's cool. That's beautiful. That's something that I want to show up for. That's something that I want to participate in. That makes me want to grow goodness, too. That's my prayer for us. Let it be so. Good.